Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank, Drexel University, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. Why don't we start off with who is Morgan Berman? Uh, you know, where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school and what your kind of um, vision was for life in general? <laughs> sure. I was uh, born at 10th and Clinton. Um, well, specifically, I was born at Pennsylvania Hospital back when it was Pennsylvania Hospital. And my mom walked from 10th and Clinton. Um, and then I grew up in and around the city of Philadelphia. I went to um, elementary school at Abington Friends and then uh, transferred to Springside School, which is now Springside Chestnut Hill Academy. Uh, I went out of state to undergrad at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. I thought that would be like just going to another country, uh, going to Southern Virginia. And in many ways, it was a very interesting, you know, different place to go. But at the same time, it was a liberal arts school and I was with people from all over the country and it was really great. Um, kind of liberal arts experience. Um, I then moved back to Philadelphia and I started my career first in uh, my undergrad was in women's health, uh, uh, women's studies and anthropology. And so I worked at um, in women's reproductive health care nonprofits like Planned Parenthood, the Maternity Care Coalition, um, and uh, and eventually was doing research in the surgery department at Penn before I uh, enrolled in grad school to get my master's of science in sustainable design. Uh, at what was Philadelphia University and is now Jefferson. I have to couch all of my alma mater degrees because they've all merged and changed, um, which is cool. Um, so, yeah, now when people say, I guess I, I went to Jefferson, even though I don't have a medical degree. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my background was uh, very mixed, but always kind of coming from uh, my parents, who both were entrepreneurs. My mother was a farm-to-table chef in Philly before women were chefs and before farm-to-table was a thing. Um, and then my dad has a research foundation helping people with neurological disorders use non-pharmacological interventions. So I got to watch them both build their companies, um, start from scratch, and use their kind of work to help other people. So you really are uh, a native, mm -hmm. truly, to greater Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, and I love the fact that you were born and raised in this community. You experienced a lot here. And then you actually traveled a little bit anyway, and I'm sure yeah. you traveled more than just down to William Exotic and Mary. Virginia. Right? But why I bring that up is because most of us or many of us who are native to greater Philadelphia, if we don't have a chance to explore other parts of mm -hmm. our country and world, we actually don't appreciate everything that we have in our community. And yeah. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. You may have experienced that not only at William and Mary, but in other experiences as well. I just came back from almost two weeks in San Francisco, and I actually wrote in my kind of journal notebook being in San Francisco makes me fall in love with Philly more um, because I I had an amazing time in San Francisco and I even we were joking about at some point living there for a short period of time but it helped me appreciate so many of the things that I have in Philadelphia that um, a kind of transient place like San Francisco where you know there are the older set of people that have been there for decades but most people are not from San Francisco and they don't have a connection to the city and they don't have um, that same kind of buy-in where you know, I had a I had a meeting with Councilman Green this week because and it had nothing to do with milk rate. It wasn't business development. It was I just care about the city. And, you know, I'm on the board of PSL now. And I just wanted to have a meeting about how can I be helpful and what's going on and building those relationships, because as a Philadelphian, I feel very connected to the city in a way that people who live in other cities that have gone through different histories, maybe are in more kind of temporary connection um, don't have. So. 
yeah, it's I and I've traveled. I've been lucky enough to travel all around the world. Not all around. There's still many places I haven't been, but I've gotten to be in a lot of cities. And um, there's no reason for me to leave Philly. I want to get the milk crate, but you referenced yeah. PSL. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about PSL. First of all, what it stands for. I yeah. know what it stands for. I, <laughs> sure. I want to hear it from you and, and how that has helped shape your thinking as well. Yeah. Uh, so PSL stands for Philly Startup Leaders, and it's an organization that I think is somewhere around 10 years old now that was started by some of the original kind of pioneers of technologists and entrepreneurs in Philadelphia, that original startup crew. Um People like Josh Koppelman and um, Bob Mao, those people were, you know, the ones that really, Rick Nucci, they they were the original frontiersmen. And um, they started an organization that was specifically for founders to help each other grow their companies and be successful. And it has grown into um, a nonprofit organization that's uh, designed to help all entrepreneurs in Philadelphia be successful and be more successful. So whether it's, uh, you know, we've got the kickoff tonight for the boot camp that helps really early stage entrepreneurs start their companies and incubate them in this boot camp. Um, it's things like the diversity dinner where you're bringing together um, underrepresented founders and people who are connected in some way to the startup community to talk about those issues and the experiences that they have. Um, it's thing, you know, there's all these different programming uh, and resources throughout the year that are about building this community that already has been around for decades now, but how to make it even stronger. DNA entrepreneurship they kind of come together in your world yeah I, I love the story of your mom and your dad and the work that they do mm -hmm. and your observation of their work talk a little bit about that entrepreneurial spirit that you seem to have really yeah. not only embraced but is part of who you are yeah you know i my i got to grow up watching my mother who at the time was a stay-at-home mom uh when i was around seven years old she started turning what had been a kind of out of necessity practice where she would thrift shop to buy furniture and clothes and housewares and things because my dad was in grad school. They didn't have a lot of money. And this was how she was kind of um, doing the shabby chic thing. And um, But what she started doing when I was around seven was she was uh, undercover shopping and she started writing reviews and she turned it into a booklet. Um, it was like a Zagat's guide. So she, having been a chef, was very familiar with this idea of writing reviews and helping other people make consumer decisions that way. And this is in like the early 90s. So it's not like there was there was no Yelp. There was no Google. Um, so she was making a booklet where there was a, a map with little icons showing you where the stores were, writing reviews about the stores and letting you know what was there so that other people on a budget could shop and um, kind of have fun doing it. And so I watched her call up every radio station and every reporter and get press. And she turned this little pamphlet into three editions. She outsold the New York Times regionally. She was on Mari Povich. I don't My Hanukkah present to her this year was we got 20-some tapes from all of her interviews converted from VHS into a flash drive. And we sat there and watched her taking me onto the like soundstage and being interviewed. And so from the age of seven, I was doing this. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, that's why I don't break out into hives like most people when you put a microphone in front of my face, because I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Um, so I got to watch her use what, you know, is an amazing resource like, you know, public media to get the word out there. I actually had a call today with a PR firm and they're like, so have you ever hired a PR firm? And I kind of, I kind of grinned and I'm like, no, <laughs> we haven't needed one because I was able to kind of do what I saw her doing when I was a kid, which is, you know, we just applied for things like Forbes because why wouldn't I apply? And then when I got 
picked, you know, obviously we were shocked, but at the same time, if you put yourself out there, those opportunities happen and then your name gets out there and then you get clients and that's how it works. So, you know, PR firms are awesome and we probably will hire one because we need help. But um, I got to watch my mom do it organically and for free for her startup and yeah, now we're doing it. <laughs> I love that. That's really great. And when you say she was literally writing reviews, yeah. she was writing reviews either oh, by hand yeah. or on a typewriter because oh. it probably <laughs> free all that well, stuff. Well, to be fair, she did have a computer. My okay, dad was good. one of the early adopters. <laughs> He's a big tech nerd. And so I was lucky enough to have a, you know, a computer in the house at a very young age um, back in the 90s. And um, but, you know, they didn't have sophisticated software. The actual graphics. Do you remember KidPics? Did your kids ever use that? It was this very early, amazing uh, software program for kids where you would have like, it was kind of like paint, but it was like a little bit more fun than that. And it had this stamp tool where you could pick different icons and you could stamp it onto the picture you were making, kind of like, you know, a rubber stamp. Mm -hmm. And so she used those stamps as the icons to represent, like, do they have a changing room? Do they sell toys? Do they have furniture? Is it women's only? So she used those icons as a legend for all the reviews. And then the way she would, you know, instead of stars, there was a, a hanger. And so if you got four hangers or three and a half hangers, that told you how good the quality was and how great the experience was. And then if you had something extra special, there was a heart. So the best review you could get, I think, was four hangers and a heart. Kind of like uh, the prehistoric emojis, if yes, you will, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I love that you referenced... Um, you know, the tech environment you grew up in as a kid mm-hmm. and that your your family was an early adopter of computers mm-hmm. and that clearly has helped shape your oh, yeah. thinking and your where you are today a little bit. So t- tell us a little bit about Milk Crate. How, how old is it and when did yeah. you when did you decide to develop it? And Milk Crate's four and a half years old. I started it in grad school. It was my master's thesis. That was the original beginning of the company. And how do you best <laughs> describe what Milk Crate is? Well, I think I'll try answering that with a question. So when someone uh, runs a program, whether it's you know a big corporate social responsibility department or a nonprofit initiative, and someone comes to you and says, "Are you making the difference in the world that you seek to create? And if so, what's your proof? And if you have proof, how did you arrive at that proof? What tool did you use to generate it?" And so what we've done is we've built a platform that includes an admin tool and a user app where you can have your own custom app to deploy in a large group to track and grow the impactful change you seek to create in the world. The shorthand we use is like a Fitbit for doing good, where each client gets their own custom version of an app to uh, challenge an audience uh, to make different changes in their lives. So we have clients like the Cultural Alliance. They're an awesome nonprofit here in Philadelphia. They have a Knight Foundation grant to help 20,000 low-income kids go to more museums. They came to us and said, we have no idea if the kids are actually going. Each museum has a different tracking system. How do we motivate the kids? So we built them a custom app using our platform where the kids get points for checking in at the PMA or signing up for a workshop at the Barnes. And so the kids are motivated because it's a game and they can compete and they get prizes and it's fun and it's on an app. And the nonprofit can see, wow, this month, 50 kids checked in or we, you know, over the last year, we had 1800 check ins at different museums. So it's a way for an organization to track the change that they're seeking to create in the world. And we've made it very flexible. So almost any organization that is trying to drive a large group of people to do a thing we can build them an app to make that happen. And then they can actually see that that thing, whether it's going to more museums, eating better, exercising, being more sustainable, um, 
whatever it is, the good that you're trying to do, though that good can be broken down into challenges. Read this article, answer this poll question, go to this location, um, watch this video, sign up for this event. All of those can be challenges in your own custom app. And then you just deploy that app to your group. Um, they get push notifications, nudging them to do this and that at the right time. And then you can disseminate rewards and prizes and all that. And so it's it's a really flexible way to, to motivate behavior change for impactful uh, groups. Causing action and then measuring that impact. Absolutely. Uh, is each app, you mentioned you customized mm-hmm. one for the cultural alliance. Yeah. Do you have to do that for every client? Or Each can... client gets their own app. It's, yep. Yeah, we've made it really easy so that we can uh, deliver a custom branded platform and app for each client. Excellent. And um, when a client or a prospect who may not know they need your services, how do you how do you connect with them to say, let us tell you how we can change your world through this new tool? Well, we ask them, uh, what is the good that you're trying to do in the world? What is the behavior change you're trying to create? Where are you struggling? I was literally on a call um, with a, a department of the city today on, on my way over here, and she was talking about social media, and this is how we get the word out, and this is what we do. And I was like, well, how are you actually measuring if people are doing anything? And they're like, oh, well, we tried this and we tried that. And I'm like, well, you know, it sounds like you have events, you have articles, you have locations you want people to go to. Um, is there any tool that you have ever seen that could actually measure if people are doing those things and make it engaging for them and she's like no but that would be amazing so like that's the kind of conversation we have is you know we we reach out either i'm speaking at a conference and someone you know says oh i think i know of someone or my organization needs that and then we just ask them like how are you trying to do this and if you don't have a good solution then maybe we can be that solution let's talk a little bit about uh why philadelphia yeah um but, you know, as we get there, if this isn't too awkward or weird of a question, <laughs> take me back to Springside Chestnut Hill Academy. Mm-hmm. You're a sophomore. You're a junior. <laughs> you know, those glory days of high school, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Where did you think you would be? What, what's your, what was your vision back then? Was it, was it running your own company? Was it working in a tech kind of startup environment or, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that evolution, if you will, from I don't know what the heck I want to do with my life to... I got it. Yeah. Well, leadership, tech, and design are three things that have always been there in one form or another. Um, even going farther back than that, when I, I grew up across the street from Tyler Art School at their old campus in Elkins Park. So my babysitters were all art teachers. And so in the front, we had Tyler uh, Art School, and in the back was a community garden. So I had this wonderful kind of sandwiched life between those two. So I was always, I kind of had a head start in the artistic creative department because from a very young age, I almost had like a, it was like a, you know, personal art teacher in a sense, because instead of watching movies, we would do art projects. So by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was like the best art, you know, artist in the class. And, you know, I would win the prize and whatever. And like, that's, I was like always the art teacher's pet because I loved doing visual expression and and, um, doing those projects. Um, I also wound up being like the president of student government. Uh, and the president of the theater club. So like leadership and creativity were things that like were always going on in my life and things that I felt comfortable doing. Um, tech was a little bit more interesting because like I mentioned, you know, I was lucky enough to have technology in the home. Um, but Springside did not have a very strong at the time tech and engineering program and the boys school did. And around the time when I was a senior was when I think it was the first time the robotics team became co-ed. And I was one of three girls out of 20-something students. Um, and it was not a great experience at the time. Um, 
both socially and academically. Um, but now, you know, 15 years later, that program has grown so much and it is so, it seems like such an equitable experience where the boys and the girls are running that program. And now they have a center for entrepreneurial learning that is, I've, to, I've mentored several girls, um, in the Anna boy in that program. And it just seems like the way that they've blended those two schools and grown those programs, both the tech and engineering and the entrepreneurship, it's just, it's blossomed into a whole new thing. And it's really amazing um, what that school has become today. And I, you know, in some ways I'm a little jealous. I wish I could go back in time and go be a student there now. Um, but I think, um, you know, there are a lot of both opportunities and struggles that led to me kind of merging those paths today. So I know this was a, a project in, in school to mm-hmm. start uh, what today is um, your your company, your your tech startup of Milk Crate. Um, did you know when you were kind of laying out those ingredients that this was going to blossom <laughs> into what it is? Absolutely not. No, I this was not like I had a business plan and I was like, you know, <laughs> had money in the bank and like a team lined up. It was very much. Um, you know, when I tell the origin story, I've actually kind of, there's two versions almost because there's, um, I started the company really as my master's thesis, as, as a project where I wanted to design a tool that helped people kind of go through the same transformation I had gone through. When I was living in West Philadelphia, uh, before I even went to grad school, I was learning how to live more sustainably, how to be a better Philadelphian. It was kind of this challenge I'd presented to myself. It was like the first milk crate challenge. How do I make uh, lessen my impact and, and kind of be a better urban dweller? So I was doing things like going to um, workshops to learn how to compost with worms in my kitchen. How to, I was recruiting friends to teach me how to ride a bike in the city. I joined my local food co-op. I was searching on Google for the nearest farmer's market, uh, trying to find the thrift shops in my neighborhood, like keep my mom proud. Um, and so I started thinking and reading about, you know, how do you do this on scale? And that's part of what led to me eventually applying to the master's program. But I realized, you know, if you're going to get a large group of people to start composting with worms in their kitchen, you've got to make it a lot easier and you got to motivate them because there's some hurdles there. There's some friction. And so that was the initial idea is how do you help people make more sustainable life choices? That was kind of the original idea. And then as we've grown over time and we work with different clients with different goals, it's how do you make any large group make different types of changes that are impactful, whether it's more sustainable, volunteering more, more healthful, kids going to museums, kids eating right. You know, there's so many use cases for so many different clients that we have Um, employees being more impactful, you know, so um, it, it kind of grew out of that. But originally, it really was just me for the first six months reaching out and trying to figure out how to do this. And then slowly, these people started coming out of the woodwork. I want to help you. Can I design it? Can I build it? Can I do your business model? And suddenly, I was like, oh, is this a startup team? Do I have a startup? And then it was like, wait, how do I pay them? Oh, I need to raise money. I need investors. How do, what's a pitch deck? <laughs> um, and so then I kind of, that's when I started slipping into this like community of startup culture and, and, and the, the PSL community in Philly. And, um, you know, that was over four years ago now. You're coming up on your five-year anniversary. Yeah. Is it everything you thought it was going to be? Uh, it's not at all what I thought it was going to be, but... Um, in many ways, I'm glad because um, I think I've learned so much more. I think if you if you end up where you expected, then you didn't learn that much. Um, the the unexpected and the challenges, you know, that's really been um, I've grown so much in the last four and a half years. I think back to like, 
you know, you go to school to get a degree and you obtain certain knowledge and experience, but when you start your own company, the, the things that you have to learn um, just dwarf that in, in every way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not at all what I expected, but um, I think the thing that I pride myself the most on right now is in terms of like the leadership aspect, like building a team that works well together and wants to do this um, for all the right reasons. That's been the thing I never expected to do this. You know, I didn't get into this to be a boss or a manager, but it's been the greatest challenge. Um, and, and it's the thing that I'm, you know, kind of very invested in doing well now. That's great. Morgan Bergman, <laughs> founder and CEO of Milk Crate. You are actually living your vision, <laughs> yeah. not just by creating the company that you've created, but you are having an impact. Yeah. And congratulations. Thank and I look you. forward to watching your growth uh, over the years. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. Growing Greater Philadelphia is supported in part by many of our investors and partners, including Liberty Property Trust. They're a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Liberty Property Trust has been creating environments that have been helping businesses realize their full potential for nearly 50 years. To learn more about the Philadelphia Navy Yard and other Liberty Properties, visit libertyproperty.com. And by Drexel University. Drexel was founded in 1891. They're one of the region's top 10 private employers with three campuses in Philadelphia. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu. Check out all of our podcasts on radio.com and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. Philadelphia.